HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Washington Wine. Download the Map My Washington Wine app. It's Map My W-A Wine and get all the Washington Wine right in your hand. Washington Wine, this is now. If your food media diet is fueled by HRN, become a monthly donor today. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Aaron Bresnitz. Interesting week as far as COVID goes. I know we're all waited with bated breath about what's going to happen, but mask up, get vaxxed, take care of yourself, be safe. We can get through this if we do it together. So check in with yourself and check in with others. It's um, We're in it for the long haul. We have a really good episode that deals all about community. We're in Chicago for the first part with Jenner and Katrina, who are opening up Esme, which is focusing on changing the way people approach fine dining for both the local community and the people who work at the restaurant. Very interesting and inspiring conversation. They talk about uh, their immediate plan and five-year plan of how they want to support people who work with them, for them, and the people who get to enjoy their food. And then we head over to Philadelphia. We sit down with Mike McGinnis of Rid of Me, the band, and also runs Knife Hit Records, talk about the Philly scene, which you know we're a fan of, and talks about the recordings they did during COVID, the resurgence of cassette tapes on his own label, and we get to hear some live songs, including a really fun cover from Cheryl Crow. This is Snacky Tunes. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy on hrn.org. We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes.
Trina, Jenner, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know you have a newborn. I know you're about to open up the restaurant. So we appreciate you sitting down and chatting with us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're super excited to be here. Awesome. So we talk a lot about communities here on the show. We've been talking really even more so about the restaurant community and neighborhoods and things like that over like the last year and a half. For people who may have not been following the Chicago restaurant scene and the community around it recently, what's the last year and a half been like? How's it faring? Where are you guys now? Oh, quite the question. Um, <laughs> you know, like, like I feel like the, the rest of the industry, you know, um, you know, when kind of COVID hit or the brewings of COVID, um, you know, it was a pretty difficult time. Right. Um, and where, where, where we were at with, you know, opening this project was kind of limbo. Um, we had gone through the process of trying to find a couple different, you know, spaces. Um, and it just so happens that we didn't sign a lease directly before COVID and we were able to kind of position ourselves in a, in a, in a, a positive way in a better place because of COVID. Um, so we're pretty fortunate on on that aspect of kind of where we were in our career and trying yeah. to open up space. And I think it really went to a standstill clearly during, um, you know, everything stopped during the pandemic. And then even when things started to loosen up last uh, summer, um, people were itching to go out. Everything was outdoor. And this year has just been from just from talking to others in the community and from watching, really, it, it's wild, like. People are doing more covers than they've ever done before. Um, I'm hearing, like, I'm, I was getting my nails done the other day, and there was a um, service professional at the in the chair next to me, and I heard her talking to her nail tech, and she was like, "I've just, we've never done this many covers in the middle of a week like this." Like, she's talking about how exhausted she is because it's like it's crazy. Everybody in Chicago is out and about. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely that desire to see people make up for lost time, just go out and just be, be around people. Um, I love Chicago. I've always loved eating in Chicago. I think it's one of my favorite high low cities. Cause you can get really great, you know, Italian beef sandwiches, deep dish pizza, but also where I think maybe New York and LA have stopped doing forward progressive tasting menus. Chicago still has a place for it in the community. Um, is that still the same or has there been a little bit more of a swing back? Nailed, nailed it. Um, you know, Chicago is the Midwest, right? Um, it is very, very much so a meat and potatoes uh, kind of town. Um, and, you know, m- my background is fine dining, right? I love the creative aspect of that. And, you know, we are o- opening a tasting format restaurant um, and there will be a more casual, approachable um, bar that is connected to it, you know, kind of feeding both of those things. Um, you know, we are in a neighborhood, it's Lincoln Park. So that was kind of the thought behind it to, to, to be able to feed people regularly and then also be able to kind of have people come in for these special occasions and for, for, for the right reasons. Um, neighborhood needed it too. Um, and we're, you know, we're local, we live in the area and sorry, I had to go get the baby. Um, we live in the area and, you know, we always have found like, oh, we want to go get a cocktail or we want to go do such and such. And it's kind of hard pressed when we have to go to other neighborhoods in order to to get those things done or to do that. And um, it's been really interesting because we felt a need for it. And so when we decided to do this bar, 
attached to the restaurant itself. We, I don't think either of us really anticipated how much the neighborhood really wanted something like this. Um, I mean, we're working in the bar right now and people are knocking on the windows and like asking us to come in and yeah. saying hello. And then we got invited to, you know, one of the apartment buildings around the corner, 35 people wanted to say hello to us and throw a party and have us go and mingle with them. And our, we took our team and we cooked and presented and discussed stuff with like these neighbors. And it's, it's been quite wild. Like I'll in general be in there when it was more of a construction zone, he would be in there for meetings and I'd be walking the baby around and people are just standing and gawking it, trying to look inside, like, and talking like, Oh, I, I think it's coming. Oh, I think they're getting closer. And I, I, I just didn't, I, I didn't anticipate it. I really didn't. We, I mean, we just ushered a nice lady in the other day who came in and was like, you don't understand how excited we are. And I'm like, this is wild. <laughs> like, so yeah, it's been very interesting in that regard. Yeah. For it's us. definitely the, the, I think it's very telling of this, of kind of how you mentioned the dynamic of Chicago. It is, you know, there are places to just go and, you know, eat delicious food. Um, and then there are places on the other end of the spectrum that are kind of trying to lead um, in, you know, the progressive creative dining world and, and, and create experience as well as, you know, serve you um, interesting and tasteful food. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of the interviews I've read about the lead up to the opening of Esme, which obviously has been protracted because of the pandemic, you do talk a lot about community. And I think there's two communities, right? There's the, the literal physical community in the neighborhood, which at the end of the day, I think how you become successful is you become ingratiated with the community and neighborhood restaurant. But then there's also the restaurant industry community. Um, how are you balancing both being progressive to both? I think you sort of touched on what you want to do for the local neighborhood, but what are your plans to make a new sort of spot for the restaurant community, for the people who work in it? Um, I, so I think it's all in kind of encompassing and is our, in our ethos of what we're trying to, to do. And I think the first thing is to kind of touch in on what, what the purpose of the restaurant is. And then I think that's that trickle down effect of, of one thing is just as important to as, is the other. Right. Um, so we're using Esme as a platform to kind of spotlight and showcase others. Um, in, in the hospitality world and strictly in, you know, speaking as a chef, you kind of reach this pinnacle of this, 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 you know, peak of what you can do in your career, you know, and it's few and far between that you, you know, that there's people opening up their own businesses, being their own business owner, opening up their own restaurant. And for me, being able to do that um, is very a humbling and it's, 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 it's kind of opened up our eyes as to what we want to do and what we want this place to mean. Right. And that being said, I think it kind of goes back to of the, of what we're trying to do is physically use this place as a platform, right? Physically connect with the community, whether that's via the arts community or, or any, you know, youth programming or the neighborhood um, and spotlight and showcase others you know, and use, use Esme as that platform. Right. And that kind of trickles down into the hospitality community, right. And the people that we are coaching, hopefully mentoring and hiring on our team. Um, you know, I said, I would, you know, it's few and far between that, you know, sh you get to your point in your career and we've been, we've Katrina and myself have both been mentored by 
um, similar people and the same people and are pretty thankful to having those kind of coaches and mentors in our life. And it's really become our mission to kind of repay repay that, push that forward. And I think that's kind of been a, a missing, you know, equation across the board when it comes to, you know, the hospitality world. Um, it's something that kind of often goes by the wayside of, of coaching, right? Um, in particular, in the fine dining world, right? It's, it's the message of intention and attention to detail and the message to why those things happen the way they, way they happen. And these lessons and these critical thinking skills and communication skills become kind of convoluted from person to person, you know, mentor to trainee to the next person to generation. And it's just become like a a hierarchy of do what I say rather than we're doing it this way for a reason. Or this, we're doing it this way because it affects this and this and this and this and and taking the time to explain and to teach, right. And educate so that then that person on your team has a better understanding of why we do things the way we're doing them and hopefully learns from that. And, you know, I always like to say, takes that knowledge and puts it in their pocket for later use for themselves. Um, and if they hopefully go forward to do something on their own, they have this basis of knowledge that we've provided them rather than just saying, do it that way, because this is the way we want you to. It's more so that filling them with as much information as possible so that they can understand why we're doing it in the place we're doing it in, but that they can also utilize that, like take that information and keep it as their own. Um, And I think that that comes down to also putting the team first. Right. And I've always said, like, if your team is happy, like your, your guests will be happy. So it starts at home, right? They always say that with kids, like it starts at home. It's the same, it's the same thing at work. It's the same thing. If you're good to your team. And I found this in many jobs that I've had, I've worked for many different types of bosses and there are bosses that could have called me up at 2 a.m. and told me their house or the, or the office was burning down and I would have jumped out of bed and gone to help them because they were great leaders who always made me feel supported, who taught me things. And then there were the bosses where I shut down and was like, like, who am I working for here, man? Like, no, I'm not doing anything extra for you. I'm like not even staying past five. Goodbye. And so I think that, the differences I always found in what, and I would always wonder like, why would I do that for that person and not this other person I worked for? And it all came down to, well, how I was treated. And if you take care of your team, they will take care of your, your guests or your clients or your patrons and therefore your business. And it's putting those individuals first. And I think for us, um, it's, actually was just telling Jenna, I was like one of our sous chefs who's actually came to us from a pretty notable restaurant that he was running has just told me that he's never had health insurance in his whole life. And it pissed me off. (laughs) Like it upset me. I'm obsessed when it comes to health insurance. I had to go without it many years ago and it was a really terrible time in my life and it was scary. And I had to choose between a bronchial inhaler for bronchitis or groceries. Well, guess what I chose? Groceries. I never want someone to feel that way. I never want, no one should ever feel that way. And one of the things that we always discuss was that, like, how are we taking care of these individuals? Are we able to give them livable wages, encourage their growth within our space? Um, you know, this idea that I, we've both taken from, we both came from a, from a restaurant that was 
you know, quite a staple here, um, MK restaurant in Chicago. And we were very um, fortunate to work for these individuals. But one of the things I remember is they allowed their front of house to treat that space as their own business, right? And so it gave them this ownership mentality and they had their own business cards and their guests, they had guests who preferred them and went to them and they made great money. And the turnover was, I mean, people were there for like 10 plus years and not just one or two. I'm talking many of them. There was very few and far between turnover at at that restaurant. And why was that? Well, they were happy. And I'm not saying that turno- like turnover is going to happen. Things have come up. But they were happy. They allowed them to own it. They were taken care of and they were supported. I know because when I lost my job, that sa- I was no longer working there. That same owner called me and said, hey, can you come help me with this? I need some help here at the restaurant. She didn't need any help. She was just looking out for me. Um, and you know, that's something that I remember saying – I hope that we can build something like this. And that comes back to the community and it comes back to the hot, to the community, our community within our, our walls. And hopefully, you know, like he's saying trickles down into the rest, like, and then also hopefully we rub off on that because we will be participating in a lot of community philanthropic work. And we want our team to feel just as passionate about giving their time and um, their and paying that forward as well. So I think that's that's kind of how we're seeing it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's such a great plan. Um, how do you balance it to work? Because obviously this only all really worked if the restaurant's successful and the money's coming in and things like that. You know, and I've seen examples. There's one restaurant that comes to mind in L.A. that laid all this out before they opened and then the restaurant did not do what it set out to do. I mean – how do you game for that? How do you plan for that? Do you budget to it? Like, do you actually, when you write your PL lines, like we have part of our profits going into this sort of employee resources and things like that? I feel like one of the biggest, you know, misses from business owner to hourly employee to upper manager to lower management, the biggest disconnect is transparency um, and this kind of underlining tone of resentment, right? Where, you're not educating the staff about PNLs, about numbers, um, about why the businesses ran a certain way. And, you know, I, 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 f- I feel for that planning aspect of like, yes, we're saying all these big ideas, right? And maybe we do, don't hit the home run. Maybe we only hit a double. But I feel like that's just as impactful as the home run in, in, in doing out what we set to do if we're transparent along the way, right? If we want to, you know, throw out the big number and say, this is what we're, 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 our goal is. And if, if the business model doesn't allow us to do that, I still feel like it's just as successful. Um, if you're educating your staff along the way and educating each other and being, you know, transparent about how, how we're getting to these end goals. Yeah. Um, but for us, you know, we, we do have a, a, a plan of, and we're of, taking little chunks. So I know yeah. when we have like discussions with people in interviews, like you, you tell like your whole story and your future story, right. And your present story. But like at the end of the day, we're taking very small, we're starting really small and taking little bites. So, um, we, one of the things that we worked into our concept are quarterly dinners, right? So this is going to happen no matter what. Um, and this will allow us to give back to the community of Chicago. So we will run every quarter 
will partner with somebody, whether it's an artist, a tradesperson, it could even be a scientist. And Jenner will basically run, will will do a dinner with them and it will last for about a month. Um, they will collaborate together. We'll create this mini experience within our restaurant space for like three to between three to four weeks. We will increase the prices for the tickets. And then a portion of those proceeds will go to a philanthropic cause um, that, you know, that individual deems fit or that, that they need, or maybe they need it because they're starting up their own business and they're their own philanthropic cause, you know, they're starting, they are the organization and they need to feed that. So that's already been built into the model, um, which we have found with our, with our employees or our team rather, they're super excited about this. A lot of them have told us that they've come to work for us because of that, that just, just that portion. Right. And so then, um, un- we didn't, we took another route too. like, for, then we were just like, Jenner and I were like, how can we give back to Chicago artisans? Like, well, let's make our, make sure our service work comes from either, or just not necessarily local, but other artists that are, you know, mom and pop. And that's what we did. And whether most of them are from Chicago, we have a couple from overseas um, that we've become very friendly with. And then also making sure that we're lending our voices to those individuals. So putting them on our menu, talking about them in articles, um, making sure that, you know, our guests know where they can make these purchases. Well, guess what happened? we were telling our story to one of these artists who's doing a lot of work for us. And he was so inspired that he said, Hey, I don't want, I'm not going to charge you the full price. I want you to take the, I'll call you. They'll charge us that cost and the remainder of the money. Please put that towards a philanthropic cause or towards the first, the first of those dinner series. I want to donate it to the first of those dinner series. And that floored me, (laughs) honestly, because this guy just, just basically donated his time and his energy because he heard what our intent was. Right. And I thought, wow, maybe it's just a matter of talking and maybe it's just a matter of putting our intentions out there that inspire other people to push those intentions forward. Right. And so while we'd love to come running out of the gate and say, we're covering hundred percent medical insurance. I can get your, get you daycare and I'm going to show you how to build resumes and all these lovely ideas that I know we have in our head for now, between now and five years from now, it starts with little by little, right? Maybe something that's ingrained into your business model, which this is the, the quarterly dinners at the end of the day are they're ingrained into our business model. Um, and then just the other things, just the making sure we're shouting out these individuals, making sure they're getting noticed. We have a new up and coming artist in Chicago who we're going to do a collaboration with and who I'm having custom design some design features in the restaurant um, so that she can add that to her resume and I can give her press about it. Um, and I think that excites the team. And I think when people are excited, the guests feel that and the guests want to come back because the, they had fun. And it, it, it's just like cyclical. So I think that the best way to look at this is not let's hear all the things Katrina and Jenner want to do because, you know, we're crazy people who want to do a lot, but more so look at the where we're starting little by little because it is going to be little. Don't expect us to run out in the first 12 months and have done all of these amazing things because it's not, it's not possible. But what is possible is to take little chunks out at a time and 
be good humans and try to be good humans and try to do the best that we can by people and try to up the amount of coverage we're giving people for insurance and, you know, try to bring in our business partner who is a CFO to talk and help people invest their own money and create savings accounts. Like, you know, those are all things that are on my agenda is how can I better prepare my team to leave me someday (laughs) or to just live a better life while they're with me, you know? So I'm going to look at it, how I'm going to raise my son is how I'm going to function as a leader of this team and how we will function as a leader. The same things I want to teach my son are the same things that I hope to teach within Esme space. You know, even if it's just checking in with our manager and saying, hey, what can I do for you today? What, you know? No, no, it's amazing. Um, All right, we're going to take a quick musical break. Uh, then we're going to come back and we'll talk a little bit about uh, your plans for In the Kitchen um, and also some of the drinks program that you've been working on. We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HRN.org. Snacky Tunes. We have Jenner and Katrina of Esme opening up in Chicago. 
mid-August. One of the things I read about your community outreach is what's going to be happening or plans for what will be happening in the kitchen. Um, Fine dining, tasting menu is arguably a tough world to break into and probably one of the least diverse type of culinary spaces in the world. Um, But you guys are setting up to change that. What are your plans for having um, mentorship and stages in the kitchen for people from the community? Um, yeah, I mean, um, fine dining is definitely a hard place to break into, and and there most certainly isn't the most diverse, you know, place as far as you know, culture and people. Um, and you know, this is one of the many things I feel like we're constantly, you know, trying to think about and. How to better diverse ourselves um, and give access to those that don't necessarily have access in in this type of cuisine, right? Um, when we're trying to portray, quote unquote, the, you know, the best food or the best fine the dining experience, you know, we should be showcasing the be- the best diverse group of people as possible, right? Um, and one one thing you know, I think to consider is how, how we're approaching the community in that sense. Um, I, I've done some, you know, youth programming, um, that's kind of set in the kitchen, um, in the, in the past and have continued to do so now as kind of COVID has, you know, lifted. Um, it's called kitchen possible. Um, it's set in Pilsen. Um, it's, it's youth programming for inner city kids. Um, and it's set in a kitchen setting. Um, it's not necessarily about teaching kids how to cook, um, even though it is, you know, cooking lessons. Um, but it's the class is based around critical thinking, um, and like kind of these life lesson skills that can kind of be applied to the day to day, you know, there's these lacking skills that, you know, kids that don't necessarily get hundred percent attention, you know, deserve. And it's done, it's done in the kitchen, which is, is kind of fun. Um, and one of our, one of our goals, um, you know, this first year is to, incorporate kitchen possible at Esme and spotlight them. Um, so we would invite them in, invite the kids in, do a couple classes with them, um, at Esme, sit down, write a menu with the kids and kind of what their creative ideas are. Um, and then turn around and do an Esme twist on it and, and kind of place that in, in our scope of, of cuisine in this kind of tasting menu format. Um, and then invite the kids back in, um, with their parents, so get to, they get to kind of see what they've created or help um, contribute um, to the bigger picture of, of 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 Esme, right? And again, of course, the proceeds get raised on those ticket sales, and it goes back to supporting Kitchen Possible. Um, so this kind of you know cycle of you know giving back in the in the right ways um, and in giving access um, to 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 a group that doesn't necessarily get access to in in, in Lincoln Park. Yeah, and I think too in terms of hiring, um, I'm actually I'm, I'm really proud of our of our hiring right now and the the diverse array of individuals we've been able to um, work with and who have chosen. I, I said this yesterday actually in an interview that have chosen to come on this journey with us because they really have, and I I really appreciate them. Um, but I you know, one of, one of the individuals who really stood out to me and I called my mom 
and was like, guess what? Guess who I have? We have helping Jenner in the kitchen. He just hired a cook from Honduras, like, which was really special to me. I'm Honduran. My mom's Honduran. You know, I have family in Honduras. Um, and I don't know. I it, I was just really proud. And Gustavo probably doesn't even know this. And I'm telling the story, but like, I don't know. I felt I feel great about that, and I feel great about you know having someone from my culture um, in this caliber of restaurant. And I felt the same pride I felt when my Honduran grandmother ate at our wedding, and you know we got to feed her caviar or just like fine luxury ingredients. She's 80 years old, or she's 82 now, but you know, um, and she never would have had access to that right from a little village in Honduras. And I think that it's finding individuals who are passionate about food, um, but also, and, and want to apply. Cause you, I mean, you can't, you can't ha- have people in your kitchen if they don't apply. Um, but really talking to people, hearing where they come from. And I think the way Jenner goes about his hiring is pretty interesting because he, he will tell me, I don't need someone who already has all this experience. I just, and I apologize. Roman is invested conversation. Um, but um, he says, I just need someone with passion who is willing to learn and is, and has, you know, and is humble and, and, and wants to, and wants to, and passionate. And I think that when you look at hiring in that way, it opens the doors to a more diverse, you know, situation in terms of who you have working with you. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're also applying that type of diversity to your beverage program. Um, yeah, Tia, Tia Barrett. Tia is. Barrett. If you could talk a little bit about your wine list and your bottle approach, um, very it's a different type of approach. I think I've seen um, also, you know, just in general in restaurants, but also in the fine dining world. Yeah, I think we wanted to kind of, you know, from the top down of the space, kind of just break the 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 norm of what fine dining is, you know, thought about. Right? We're not. And, and it starts that starts with the the dining experience itself, and it kind of translates into the beverage program and the and the and the purveyors and and the, the the water and you know specific wines we're trying to showcase. We're not it's not about finding the quote unquote best wine that's for first growth Bordeaux. Um, it's it's trying to align and find people who have notable and positive you know impact, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think it's seventy five percent of our our, our wine list and spirit, spirit list um, is you know made, produced or uh, sold by women people of color or, or have some sort of you know film philanthropic ties, um, and rather than kind of you know looking to the quote unquote standard of what a Michelin restaurant needs to to be showcasing, um, we've taken that attention. To, to what they think detail is and are, and are applying it to what our ethos is as a restaurant, right? We're taking the same thought and, and what we deem to be great wines and finding great people and great purveyors that, mm-hmm. that are, are making great product, right? That deserve that spotlight and, yeah. rather than just finding, again, what, what's, what's, what's the next, you know, screaming eagle like that's not it's not not that's not what we that's not what we're looking for and it's not that there won't be you know some of these big names or whatever on the list because there are people who enjoy that and that's okay but i think what tia has done and i honestly love to gush over her she's probably so embarrassed um i'm so honored she'd probably be like katrina i am so honored to be working alongside her i have seen her intention and she totally gets it and 
my goodness, I, I, I don't know. It makes me emotional because she heard what we wanted to do and she it, it, clearly she's passionate about it and she is doing it. And I'm so proud to hear and see who she's working with. And she said it at this meeting we had a few weeks ago where she said, you know, if you buy our rosé, your this money is going to this cause to help people of color attain education in wine. Um, and that's, that's great. <laughs> like, I don't know. She's Tia, Tia's very special and, and she's doing something very special with the program. And, and I think that that, that also comes from us just talking, right? Like you were kind of asking the last question about how do you obtain uh, these goals? Like how do you achieve them? How do you put your money where your mouth is essentially? And I think it's just if you share your intention and hopefully that attracts somebody who has that same intention, right? And you let, and then you let them do their thing because that's one thing Jenna and I have really wanted to do with Tia is say, do your thing, Tia, go. And my goodness, has she, um, and she, she's really, what she's doing is, exactly what we hope the brand means to people down the line. Amazing. Um, now, I want to make sure that we talk about probably the final element that comes into shaping a new restaurant, which is the music, which I know is going to be a big part of it. Um, you know, we know about the food, we know about the wine, the community, front of house, back of house. But I know that even though the Restaurant isn't open. There's already a Spotify playlist previewing what you can get, which is something that we absolutely love. Oh, you mean my 10 play- playlists uh, that without a restaurant open I that mean, have been of built course. for that, like over a year? I mean, if it, I know so many people who are like, if I over if I open up a restaurant, I already have the 55 playlists that we're going to go through. This is the third Sunday afternoon playlist, which is different than, you know, mid, mid-month Tuesday. Um Talk to us about the music. Talk about the approach, you know, because obviously when you think of fine dining, the rules are a little bit different now, right? I, I feel like fine dining sort of opened up what it could be music-wise. Um, but what are you guys going to do? Who are you going to play? What are you most excited about? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer to Katrina here. Um, <laughs> I, I love and appreciate music, and but one thing I've been great at in my career is – not needing to be the person that needs to take all the credit or spotlight um, all the time when it's not your, um, I, I, this is not my 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 forte or my comfort zone. And I'm the I'm, music I, chef. I'm really great at finding those people, and whether it's you know Tia doing the beverage program because that was her cause, right? That that is her mission, and she has tackled it, and, and she deserves all the credit for that. And just like this, the music, you know, it's always awesome to see other people be successful and what they do. And Katrina used to help Dave at, at next with the, the ongoing playlist transitions from menu to menu. And like she said, she's got 10 playlists. So it's, it, yeah. the floor is with, yours. With babe. like thousands <laughs> of songs. It's ridiculous. I'm out of control. I just added more music the other day. I was like, Oh, I have to get this music done and I don't have to do anything. They're done, but they're never going to be done. Um, I don't know. Music is life. Like I, I'm that person. I am that nerdy kid who had two hard drives and collected music back in the day when there was no Spotify and like sourced it and organized it and sat around tables and listened with their friends. And I think that my creative process um, is a little different than Jenner's and mine usually begins with music, um, begins and ends with music, right? So 
I'll hear a song and it will, you know, for, for example, the opening video for Us May began with a song. It's not even the song that, you know, Paul um, Octavius ended up using, but like that whole concept for that video in my head started with a song that I must have listened to in a row 110 times. Like it, it, I only have eyes for you from by the flamingos. Like we've all heard that song a million times, but like I will listen, listen and listen over and over to the nuances of a song. And then from there I'll tell gender, I have an idea, poor guy, or I'll text him. I have an idea. And then that starts us on a very steep trajectory to something because it, that's where, usually where it comes from. Um, the other day he said, what's going on? What, what music are you listening to right now that you're getting so hyped up? I'm like, cause he knows, you know? And I think that even if there were. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him what song it was. Uh, Every Day I'm Hustling by Rick Ross. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, there's, I have lots of them. I'm always like, Oh, I love this song. Like, you know, at the end of the day, whether or not there were still, there were, there were our rules in fine dining when it comes to music, I, I, I'm prepared to break all of them. Um, there will be no rules in terms of music in this restaurant space. Um, there are, I have designed the playlist to be more about feeling and less about like genre I mean, some may be labeled Fran- French this or French that, but it's really just an idea or a feeling and you'll and you'll kind of get, gather that. And then there's like, blessed be the dopeness, where I just think these tracks are really dope. <laughs> like, you know, where I listen to something and I'm like, wow, where like, where did, what was this guy doing? And, you know, I see food a lot that way. And I see, f- and I, I'm one of those people who will sit my butt in a seat at a restaurant ordering more and more food and drinking more and more just to listen to what they're playing. Very, like, very you know, rare. I am very, it, yeah. it is, unfortunately, I have to say rare that a soundtrack is so good where I'm like, let me have the next glass of wine. But when you find yeah, it, it's, it's not happened a long, in a long time <laughs> when you find it, uh, well, listen, congratulations. Um, if people want to follow along, get reservations, uh, where, where can they go? How can they follow along on your journey? Um, they can follow us along at, at SMA underscore Chicago. Um, that's our Instagram. And then from there, the website will lead you right over to, you know, where you could book through Resi with us. And Spotify makes it really hard to follow along. You can't just give a handle. So I would actually go through the website to follow along to the playlist that you like, you know, and hopefully you dig it. Awesome. Well, Jenner, Katrina, Roman, thank you all for taking the time. Sit down, chat with us. Congratulations on the opening. We have a song from the archives and then a live performance, an interview from Philly's own Rid of Me on Knife Hit Records here on Snacky Tunes on hrn.org.
This episode is brought to you by the wine the world is talking about, Washington Wine. From its one-of-a-kind landscapes to a statewide culture of craft and innovation, Washington is made to make wine. That's why winemakers from around the globe are coming to Washington to set up shop and why 90-point wines are practically falling from the skies. Ready to sip for yourself? August is Washington Wine Month, meaning it's the perfect time to explore some wineries, 1,050 and counting, and try some of today's most exciting wines. The new Map My Washington Wine app makes it easier than ever, too. You can get to know all the wineries, tasting rooms, and vineyards, find nearby events, customize your ultimate wine trip, and more. Download the free Map My Washington Wine app. That's Map My W-A Wine and get all of Washington wine right in your hand. Washington Wine, this is now. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. You may have noticed that we have a whole new look. We also launched a new website that's going to make your listening easier and more enjoyable than ever before. HRN is the original food podcast network. And as we enter a new chapter in our 12-year history, I want to ask you to invest in HRN for the long haul. If you rely on this show to fuel your food media diet, become a monthly sustaining member today. Our members keep the voice of America's food movement alive and kicking. Your donations support this podcast along with 40 other shows on Heritage Radio Network. Your contribution helps give HRN the security we need to stay on the airwaves throughout the pandemic, and your continued support is allowing us to reopen our studio. Plus, we like to give our regular members special treatment. So sign up to become a monthly donor and get access to our secret menu. We've gathered together exclusive discounts and offers from some of your favorite food and beverage brands. So you get to enjoy insider pricing on goods that will ship right to your door. Join our community of monthly donors and special deals will come your way throughout the summer. So can you make a gift of five or $10 a month? It'll show me and our whole team at HRN how much this podcast and food radio in general means to you. Become a monthly sustaining member today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Mike, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. We always appreciate another Philly boy being on this show. (laughs) A little taste of home. Yeah, man. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Oh, man, my pleasure. Um, Let's just sort of give a little context for people who might not be as familiar with the Philly music scene. Let's go, I don't know, let's go late 2019, early 2020. Uh, Where was the Philly music scene? What was going on? What was, you you know, um, where was your place in it, both as a record label owner and in a band? Well, so the label was semi, I wouldn't say dormant. I I was playing in a band that we had just started, I guess, maybe the year prior called Lodos. And I kind of resurrected the label to uh, self-release some of the formats for that record. Um, I was mostly, most of my involvement was, I I was a bartender at Kung Fu Necktie for about eight years. Mm. So that was, you know. 
that was a big thing. Um, I, I don't, I don't really, I, I was also playing in a band called plaque marks, which I don't play in anymore. So I, I, I was active in a lot of ways. Fight amp was my most active band before that, but we, we broke up in 2016. So. Got it. Um, and the Philly scene as a whole, the community, I mean, it's always been a tight knit community. It's a much, I know Philly seems big, but it really is a small town. It, yeah, it, uh, when you're here, it, it feels like a small town. That's for sure. Um, but some, I, I would say there's a few different scenes that sort of get fractured just by the geography of the city. Sure. South, North and South, North and West, you know? So pandemic hits. Um, and I know that the record label was dormant and you were in low dose, but things changed a bit for you with both the band you're in and sort of a reconfiguring of the record label. Talk us through what happened. Well, right before the pandemic hit, Lodo sort of naturally was going to take a little hiatus um, for an undetermined amount of time. A couple of the members just had to focus on life and work and other projects. And uh, Itaria and I wanted to stay active. So we just decided to start another band. Um, and this was, I mean, literally maybe December of 2019 or something like that. We rapidly wrote four songs. Mm. Uh, recru- recruited our, our old friend Mike Howard, who was the second drummer of Fight Amp and played in bands like Ladder Devils and stuff like that. And we got it together and quickly recorded it in the beginning of February of 2020. And then I went on a tour with another band for a, almost a month and got back right in the beginning of March. Wow. And that's like, yeah, and that's right. When I, I remember sitting at a bar and seeing that the NBA season was canceled and we rid of, so this new band rid of me had a, a tour scheduled in May with soul glow. It was like uh, three or four weeks or something. And I, I remember uh, my last bartending shift was March, Friday, the 13th, Friday, March 13th. And that's when everything just got shut down and we were just sitting back wondering if it was just going to be one of those, is this going to be two, three weeks or two, three months? And, you know, and then everything just started getting canceled. And that's when we, we you know, we wanted to be an active band. So we had to, you know, uh, reinvent what we were going to do instead of playing shows. So that was write music and release tapes. And we brought Ruben from Soul Glow into the band, which probably wouldn't have happened otherwise. So, yeah, I mean, <sighs> It's tough to say positive pandemic experience, right? I think it's right. Yeah. Uh, no one wants to glorify it, but if you're a creative person as you are and you have a life on the road or your life out and about being at home, I don't know if it's force or allows you whichever route you want to take to maybe create and work with people that you wouldn't have had a chance to do so. So do you look back yeah. on at least that first year or the first before the first reopening and who knows what's happening now, but uh, as a positive time or a tough time where you were able to create some art, um, how did you approach it? I mean, it's all of the above I because mean, it was like day to day and I knew I couldn't just sit here and watch TV and drink. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, I could, sure. but <laughs> I would lead to some, uh, you know, ultra negativity. So, and, uh, not that I didn't do those things. There was a lot of time to kill. Um, but I just, and, and my bandmates, you know, we had to find ways to 
move forward, not lose our minds, be creative, uh, and use the time that we had to our advantage. Uh, and it was the same with the label. I had it sitting there and I was using it for my own bands. And so, you know, I had this time and why, why not put some of it into another musical endeavor that, you know, branched out beyond my bands. So I love it, it. was positive and, and it was negative. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Cause there were, there were rough days, obviously. I mean, it's a year. Even even in the best of times, there are rough days yeah, in the year. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, well, yeah, and it's still a bumpy road. So yeah, it's still a bumpy road. I I think. Well, I don't know what to think because I don't know what's happening. You know, we're recording. Yeah. On what the the twenty eighth of July, and the CDC just said masks back on. So it's just like okay. Yeah. All right. Yep. I know. Um. Well, how about this? Let's hear a song appropriately, maybe titled "I Don't Wanna." Uh, what's the story behind it? And uh, when did you lay this one down? So this was originally recorded for our, we call it our EP. It was sort of a rush demo session for our first recording. Um, it's also going to appear more definitively on our LP, mm. uh, which comes, which comes out this fall. So we recorded this and the other two live songs for you guys uh, just locally, like in our neighborhood neighborhood here in port richmond um so this is a live version of that song that's going to be on two of our releases awesome well we have i don't wanna by rid of me here on snacky tunes on hrn.org
Welcome back, Snacky Tunes. That was just I Don't Wanna Live, Rid of Me. We have Mike McGinnis, guitar player in the band. And, you know, creating anything during uh, a time like a pandemic, I would say it's probably tough to not have some of those themes or feelings wind up in the music that you're recording. I know that the last EP... Um, has a cover in it, but also has an original and you're also writing other music. Did you put any of the experiences and feelings from the pandemic into the new music that you've been writing? Yeah, it was impossible not to. I mean, uh, even the, the way we were, a lot of it was like file trades because even we were just staying home alone for a little while in the first couple months there before we started actually getting in a room together again. So yeah, it just, you know, the canvas sort of helped make the painting for sure. Hmm. Any songs that were maybe not even songs, but were there any moments where you went, I would have never done this pre pandemic. I would have never written this type of song or this type of lyric, but now you're like, it, you know, I have the freedom to, or the desire to put this type of sentiment, you know, recorded for, for the, you know, all ages of time. Yeah, I think because uh, a lot of what we did while we were writing the LP and then as we started to record the LP, we were because we couldn't play shows, we were releasing these like little cassette, like, you know, the most recent one with the Cheryl Crow cover is a two song cassette that I'm releasing on my label. Mm. And a lot of them are self-recorded. The B side on that is like, I, I do the vocals on it, which I'm not the vocalist mm. in this band, but we, we just sort of, yeah, we, we put out some songs that we maybe would have remained demos otherwise, you know? Um, Hmm. So yeah, we we definitely had a little bit more output than we would have. And there's a few songs in there that, that went that way. And we were able to explore, I think some of the dynamics were, you know, we explored a little more than we would have. Hmm. Interesting. Let's talk about that Cheryl Crow uh, cover. Um, (laughs) It's a banger. Um, And, uh, I know that you've also talked about you have a Beastie Boys cover coming out. Um, how do you pick your covers? And what what makes you want to do a cover? Because it's sort of that balance of you want to be – I've heard ones that have gone completely off the rails. And I'm like, I don't love this as a cover. It's just a different song. So you want it to right. be both familiar and new. You know, How do you pick Cheryl Crow? And, and what's your approach to these types of, of recordings? I think I tarry a- wanted to cover that even before this band started. And again, it was sort of that time we had during the pandemic and like, Hey, let's, let's amass some stuff for these like cassette releases that we wouldn't normally do. Mm. Um, and I, the Cheryl Crow cover, I think is like, that's one of those songs where if you listen to the original, the way it's like presented aesthetically might make you not like it. Cause it has that country twang and some people don't appreciate that, but it's still a really well-written and performed oh, song. It's a ripper. So we kind of took that, you know, we slowed it down, down to it a little and turned it not into a country song. And then so a lot of people, a lot of the feedback has been, wow, I didn't realize that was such a well-written song. You know, it's cause the, you know, the aesthetic choices definitely can influence people's uh, opinion on it. That's so that's how that one came about. We have, we're about to do a whole bunch. We just, once we did those two, they were just so much fun. And, uh, we just decided we're just going to do more. And 
we're not being too picky about it. If anyone wants to do anything, we just say, Hey, sure. It's on the table. <laughs> and as long as our drummer can drummer can learn it and go record, uh, drums we can self-record everything else so he's going to record like he has a list of 40 right now wow. that he is learn that he's learning and he's going to go track them on his own to click tracks and we're just going to cherry pick some and just leak them out little by little on some different releases you know having a good cover back catalog makes for a great halloween and or new year's type of set yeah, absolutely. I, I do think that it's going to be a blessing and a curse because we're not always practicing these covers because we're not a cover <laughs> band. Not we're not a cover band, sure. but we're venturing on the territory of becoming half a cover band. So I know when once we start playing shows, there's going to be that hey, play blah blah blah, and we're going to go. Uh, we don't know it right now. We don't know you it. Know? <laughs> we don't know it right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so. All right. Well, let's hear an original. Uh, next song is "Broke Shit." What's the story behind this one? Um, actually our drummer wrote the bass and drums to it. This was one of those early ones. Uh, I think we had written it right before Ruben joined the band and then Ruben and I kind of like sprinkled the guitars on top. Um, Itaria's lyrics, I can't speak for her, but I know they're pretty politically driven. Some, you know, some lefty shit. Awesome. All right. Well, here we go. Broke shit. Rid of me. Live on Snacky Tunes on HRN.org.
That was just broke shit. Rid of me. Mike, I want to shift to the label a little bit, which we had talked about uh, at the, the top of our conversation. Um, what made you ultimately want to get this thing going again, especially since it was dormant pre-pandemic? Um, it's something that was never like completely dormant. I would resurrect it throughout the years since the beginning of my old band fight amp. Um, I would resurrect it like intermittently to kind of like serve whatever purpose I needed it to serve. Sure. And then having the time during the pandemic to kind of look at it and take a step back just made me realize it was something that I could do. Uh, especially with just getting like doing mostly cassettes. I'm not strictly a cassette label, but I make sure there's always like a, cause I have like, you know, I'll digitally just distribute records as well, mm -hmm. but I always want there to be like a physical artifact and a cassette is a very like affordable, quick turnaround time way to do that. And if you're not into the cassette, you can always just listen to it on Spotify or whatever. Um, so I guess that, and just, it was just like another creative project. I was sort of maxing myself out on my own band and a side project band. And I didn't want to like start a third band. So I wanted something involved with music that, you know, was outside of my own, you know, hearing riffs in my head and recording them and stuff. Mm. I mean, it's also nice to not always be like, listen to my music, listen to my thing. It's nice to be yeah. supportive of the scene in the community. Yeah. And that was like my way of doing that. It's, again, it's very limited capacity, like of what I can do. And it's like, it slowly is growing. Um, but yes, I can like take my friends bands and hopefully soon people that I'm not even directly friends with and release stuff and have it be my way of contributing. You know, did you find it to be a good or different way to connect with people during the last year and change, especially as everyone was sort of isolated at home? Yeah, and I guess I didn't really think about that at the time, but in retrospect, it, it was like a really nice way to to be able to connect with people. Um, you know, it, that didn't feel forced or anything. Um, now, some of our older listeners might be hearing the word cassette and going, I don't understand. I thought those died <laughs> out. But obviously anyone who's been following certain scenes know that cassettes have not only been back for a while but have, are really in fashion especially as limited editions and things like that what do you love about the format um and how does one even go about getting a cassette made these days well so the number one thing and you know cassettes have these like detractors that just never like i recently listened to a podcast uh on an another podcast that i recently did called the northeast scene mm. and they had uh, matt from the get up kids mm. and i was the i was the previous guest and they brought up cassettes on that and he was just like oh what is the point don't even bother and i like i get that notion but my rebuttal to that is always um the cassette is in a world of digital streaming and like a lot of releases don't even come out on any physical format often. Mm. So if you can make a physical artifact and it's affordable to make and affordable to sell, and it's not backed up in this insane 
world of like where vinyl is right now, where the wait times are a year and Amazon's flood in the market and all these things. It's very like for the common person, mm. like you can, you can still make them for cheap, at least relatively and sell them for cheap relatively um as vinyl prices are skyrocketing now i'm saying this and knock on wood this could change i'm i mean my my manufacturer just told me prices are going up so because there's a worldwide uh cassette shells shortage right now sure go figure I, yeah i have to um, imagine that there's one depot of cassette shells and it's just slowly yeah. dwindling <laughs> as, oh, no. as more and more indie yeah. bands and, and, and punk rockers put out cassettes. But it's great to have something yeah. physical. It's so interesting to see how vinyl has now swung back into be such a demand. Uh, yeah, I know. It, it just surpassed CDs, I think, for the first time ever, which I'm surprised it actually took that long. But, yeah, I mean, who's um, who's buying a CD yeah. these days? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Poor CDs. Well, that might change too. So. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, we can't make records and we can't make tapes. We're going back to CDs. But I mean, CDs just never have had or will the same aesthetic as a cassette tape or or an LP. No, I think what's keeping them in in uh, in demand are the fact that people still there's still a lo- enough people driving cars from the '90s and 2000s that uh, can load a cd into that cd player i mean honestly up until two years ago i had a tape player had all my my high school tapes just ripping them all the new tapes and everything it was great now i now it's i'm, I'm tape tape deck list but you know that's what ebay's for yeah <laughs> Some, somebody's got to start manufacturing those again i think they do but it's kind of like a boutique oh yeah it's like oh cool a twenty five hundred dollar tape player Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, cool, yeah. Cool. I, I see them on Sweetwater, and you know, I don't want to click on anything because I know they'll start texting. Hey, me man, day. just want to make sure you get everything you need. It's like, yeah, bud, thanks, Phil from Sweetwater. Um, so as as we head, you know, into the fall, out of the summer, things like that, and we're sort of in this, you know, tours are starting again, bands are playing again, but who knows what's going to happen. Um, Rid of me, you going on the road, you playing local shows. What's the Philly scene looking like as far as uh, live music? Yeah, we have a it's nothing is announced yet, but I think we have something like seven shows booked right nice. now that are all I think our first local show is going to be announced. I think tomorrow. Mm. Uh, so that yeah, that'll be up. That'll be up by the time uh, this the airs. Time this comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then. I believe that's still going to be limited capacity because it's in August. And then um, I'm pretty sure. And well, if that's up by the time this airs, it's uh, August 20th at Ortlieb's. Um, oh, shout out Ortlieb's. Yeah. Love it. And uh, we have, so our record's going to come out and I believe the release date is set for late November. So I think we have like a mini like regional thing from uh, DC to Boston, like four shows booked. Uh, that's going to be our like mini record release run. Uh, we have a, some random shows, uh, some DIY shows like in Richmond, Virginia and stuff like that, but they're all, there's like this hesitancy mm. happening right now. So I'm like being told like, Hey, like everything's together, but we're going to kind of wait and see how these case numbers are looking. And all. that's, that's what I'm hearing at the moment. So I guess we'll just, it's just a wait and see. Again. I hate it. 
I, I know, <laughs> especially after what we all just went through. The only you know? the only benefit would probably be my bank account to get refunds for all the tickets I bought for the the fall and winter. But outside of that, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm oh. not looking forward to shows getting canceled again. Yeah, I man, just I don't know. I just hope people do what they got to do to turn it around. Yeah, I mean, look if if it takes people to you know be like, I can't go see this band. If I don't get the vaccination shot to get a shot, I will, you know. Yeah, I, I just, just please get vaccinated please. so we don't have to go through what we just went through again. We don't have to. We wouldn't have to. Yep. Anyway, uh, all right. Time for one last song. Uh, we have Dealing. What's the story behind this one? Um, This was one of the, la- I think it's the last one that came together uh, while we were writing our LP. So this, again, another live version of this song. And thus far, this song is unreleased and will be on our LP that comes out in, I think, November. And I know Iteria's lyrics. This is, as far as I can tell, one that is definitely very influenced by being isolated during the pandemic. Mm. Well, maybe it gives people some hope. But listen, Mike, thank you so much for the time. If people want to check out Rid of Me or get some cassettes, from Knife Hit Records, where can they go? Uh, just knifehitsrecords.com. Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you so much. Hopefully uh, things line up when we're back in Philly for the holidays. Maybe we can even catch you guys playing live. And uh, awesome. want to also thank our food guests. Uh, we have another new episode next week. But first, we have dealings here live on Snacky Tunes on hrn.org. We'll see you next time.
talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.